hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we are going to talk about making the leap. Which leap is that, Rochelle? <laughs> the leap into consulting. That's right. So if you or a friend are currently a full-time employee and are thinking about going solo, hanging out your own shingle, as they say, then this is the episode for you or them. Indeed. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, maybe before we jump to that, I want to give you an update, both Rochelle and the dear listener, that we have continued to get audio questions sent in and we're we're building up quite a pile of them. So we're looking forward to getting uh, ah. getting on the calendar another Ask Us Anything show where we can go through listener questions. So if you have a burning question for us, dear listener, uh, go ahead and shoot me an email. You can find that on, in the show notes. Uh, just shoot me an email with a short MP3 recording or you know whatever, whatever your voice recorder uh, outputs, and we will play it on the show and answer your question there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, okay, but the topic of this week is... Uh, for, Full-time employees. So I get questions a fair amount of time from people who are on my mailing list that are trying to learn how to go solo. So, you know, somebody mm -hmm. let them know about my list or whatever or the, this show and they're thinking like, ah, I really, I'm, I'm disgruntled. I'm disappointed in my boss. I don't, uh, you know, they're not going to have me to kick around here anymore, but they're nervous, <laughs> <laughs> right? But they're nervous about making the leap. It's a leap of faith. Is it going to work? How am I, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to convince my spouse that this is not insane? How am I going to find my first clients? Like all of these questions, uh, crop up for folks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I have, uh, I, I did not, when I air quotes made the leap, I went, I did like a half, a half step. So if, you know, if, if the leap is crossing the river, I jumped to a rock in the middle and then I jumped to the other side where mm. my, my one corporate job uh, of my life uh, I was at and I was feeling woefully underappreciated. <laughs> so uh, I went to, I put out my resume at a couple of firms. So I had never, I had never been a consultant or even freelanced, not, not really. I mean, I'd done some little things, but not really freelanced um, uh, at that time. And I went to a, I got hired at a small firm, you know, it was maybe 40 people at the time that That's I got hired. That's a good hired. size small firm though. Yeah. Yeah. Three offices, uh, Chicago, Atlanta, and San Francisco and, or San Mateo actually. And you know, it was, it was cool. You know, it was a, it was a huge learning experience. I thought I knew a lot more than I actually knew. And <laughs> I learned all the things about like, you know, dealing with clients and uh, just a million things. And then, uh, and then when I had my epiphany about ditching hourly, then I went solo and started my own value, you know, uh, own shop doing projects in a value priced way. So when I think back, if I was going to go straight from my job, my job, job into solo, uh, I, I just kick myself. I look back at all the time I wasted at that job. Because the you know I was a programmer, so that I just programmed stuff to do my job, and I just had a lot of free time. You know, I would do I was doing more than people were even asking asking me to do because I had automated so much stuff uh, that I had a lot of free time, and I could have laid the groundwork to go solo directly. And I, was, I just thinking back on it, I'm like, man, I would have given myself like a five or probably at least a five year head start on you know where I finally got to. 
Okay, so I have to say something about this. So um, there's nothing wrong with going, you know, right to consulting. But what I like about the path you took that kind of makes you crazy is the fact that it was an interim step taught you a lot. I mean, it really, if I'm remembering how your story has progressed, it's it's where you got this idea about hourly billing is nuts, right? Mm-hmm. It's where all that started. So I like, I actually like that you had that. That's that rock in the middle of the river. I think it taught you something. Oh, absolutely. I learned a ton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not not everybody has to have a rock. And, you know, some people can jump immediately. I mean, I I jumped, but it took me a really long time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, I spent probably a year thinking about it and planning it before I made the leap. So, you know, that was... You know, you could argue that was too long, but it was what I needed because mm-hmm. I'd loved my work so much with what I was doing. It took a lot to get me to finally leave. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking about the example I used at the beginning where somebody is just, you don't have me to kick around anymore. <laughs> and so what I like and maybe what we could talk about some is getting ready so that when that moment happens where you just know that's like the, the final straw yeah. that you're ready. At that point, because I don't think you want to leave in anger or, um, you know, go into something that you're not ready for yet. Although, you know, some you'll never be 100 percent ready. It's right. just a question of degrees. Right. I mean, I totally agree. Like, I, I couldn't agree more about like leaving on good terms that that has saved my not saved my bacon. But I mean, I. I know that I would have really regretted it if I burned either one of those bridges, the the corporate job or the. Um, the the rock in the middle of the river, the consulting job, the firm job, uh, because I, it's like I have tons of friends from that still. I got lots of referrals. Mm-hmm. I've I've done work for both of them solo. After, uh, it like anyway. Long story. It was yeah, I totally was agree good. with that. You wouldn't want to throw. That's a probably a huge network of people who could help you out, introduce you to new people, and uh, and as was the case um, with me and with a lot of other people I talked to who have made the leap. Uh, when you, when I left the firm, and I know a lot of other people do that, they take some clients with them and work out a financial arrangement that makes everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Because when you're doing, um, it's pretty common. It was definitely true for me. I was I was working directly with uh, a couple of clients who were, you know, had ongoing work, and they didn't really. I mean, they only knew me. Really, I mean, they knew the other people, the, like the founder of the firm and stuff. But they didn't work together the relationship wasn't there the relationship was with me and they didn't want to switch to someone else so it was like hey you know these couple of clients obviously they're air quotes mine they're yours but but Mm -hmm. i own the relationship so could we do like a rev share or some kind of split and that was that was the um call you could call it a ramp or whatever like that was my ramp down from salary into like i immediately had clients and i I know this happens for lots of people they quit their job and they immediately consult for the ex-employer. Like they, the plan is, I'm going to go still, but you can hire me to finish up this project that I'm that we're in the middle of. Mm-hmm. So a hundred percent, yes. There's even if you're, you know, when I left that company, I was like the straw that broke the camel's back was that um, I had asked for a raise, and then they they were stringing it along, stringing it along. Oh, trying to get approved. You know, they strung it along for a while, and then ultimately they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, bye. Okay, bye. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, that's why it's, you know, you want to have some kind of a plan in place 
Um, you know, unless you're, you know, living in your mom's basement and, you know, you don't have any expenses or overhead at all. Mm -hmm. Well, so what did you spend that year doing when you were preparing to make your leap? Well, um, the first thing was the concept because I didn't go solo. I wanted to create a firm and I always had that in mind, which is not exactly what we're talking about here. But I think that was the complication because I had to figure out how to have enough money and enough work lined up that I could hire people. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really a business and I, I didn't want... I mean, I had a, a partner, but we didn't want investors. We didn't want to go that route. And so it was kind of figuring that out. And the first part of it was, do I really want to do this? Mm -hmm. And then, yes, I do want to do this. So what's it going to look like? And that's when we had our aha moment about what the premise of the new firm was, um, which was everybody working flexible schedules, basically. And mm -hmm. then it was, okay, so who are the clients going to be? And I, you know, I, I have a non had. God have I had a non compete a two year non compete so I couldn't talk to any clients about it and I had to assume that no one was going to go with me. Right. Um, so yeah, it was really all that, and then it was, and you have to remember this was the '90s, so we needed a phone system. Like, we had to <laughs> figure that out. You had to buy one. Um, we had to figure out like where are we going to be physically because we had to have a physical location, even though it didn't have to be big. So it was like all of those kinds of things. Now. I can't imagine somebody would take a year to figure that out. They might take a year to make the decision. Right. But if I had been able to, I pro it probably would have, like if I were doing that now, I would say it wouldn't be more than a couple months tops to figure all that out. And, yeah. you know, I had a, I was working, you know, 70 to 80 hours a week in my day job at that mm. point too and traveling. So I was squeezing it in. But Yikes. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that that timeline all makes sense to me like so and it feels so much like I'm getting a pit in my stomach imagining like all of that investment without you know any guarantee that it's going to work like you basically the issue here is that that people wrestle with is is it's like risk mitigation it's how do I mm -hmm. how do I make this this thing that feels very risky I want to do this part of me wants to do this thing but another part of me is like that's super risky uh, what can I do to either to, to decrease this perception of risk, like what are the things I can do? And for my style of business, uh, I know what I, I would have done. Is this just one path, but for, for a soloist type of person, I would have started some kind of newsletter because that the technology was there back then. Cause we're talking about 2002, 2003. Um, it, I could have done that. Like blogging was a big deal then, uh, mm -hmm. but it could have been, you know, like a blog newsletter type of thing. I would have, I, I would, it would have dramatically decreased my fear if I had uh, an audience like a, that I could communicate with. So not a podcast audience because you can't, other than the show, there's no way to have a conversation. It's not, it's not conducive right. to that. Um, and a blog is the same thing. Yes, you can have comments, but that, that don't get me going. Uh, <laughs> but I think a mailing list, if I had a mailing list that had even 500 or a thousand people on it, I would have been, uh, I would have had a lot, a lot of uh, really a big head start because you can communicate with these people. They're obviously interested in, in the thing that you're talking about, you know, obviously it'd be work related. It wouldn't be about like learning Mandarin Chinese or something. 
Um, so I would have a, a mailing list around my area of expertise and become well known to a group of potential buyers um, that there's this way that I can help them. Mm. And mm-hmm. I would probably, if I was really, this is this is totally uh, armchair quarterback, like uh, because I didn't have the chops to do this back then. But if you, the dear listener, has the chops to do this, I would start selling something to that list, like an ebook or a, a training course or something like that, while you're still full time self uh, full time employed, and uh, and take it to the next level. So, like if 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 I had a list, and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna try and sell them something, even if it's nine bucks, and just see if see if if I'm connecting with them and proving that it's working because they took out their wallet and gave me some money. Yeah, it's the process that matters, not the price point. Right. And at that point, I'd be like, okay, okay, this is, this is, that would uh, have calmed me down quite a bit. Like all my, if I had nerves about going straight solo, I would be uh, seriously calmed down. If I had a list of people, I'd sold some stuff to them. And I honestly, I would, once that happened, I'd stay at the day job, day job as long as I could stand it and try and build up a product ladder on the side. Yeah. It's a classic side hustle, really. Right. Right. Except you're doing it an online side hustle versus consulting directly with clients mm-hmm. for money. Yeah, I think the I think the um, the 37 Signals team when they launched Basecamp, I think they had I think they were running Basecamp for a year, and they were, they did like I want to say like over a million in sales before they stopped to do the agency work they were doing. I mean, like cause, wow. because because I mean we haven't said it, but the obvious problem here is that you're afraid you're going to run out of money. Like that's. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, that's it, the unstated, unstated issue is you're like, ah, I want to work for myself or for whatever the reason is. I don't want to work um, for a, uh, an employer anymore. I want to work directly with clients, but I'm afraid I'm going to starve. Like, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So or I'm going to feel like I'm going to starve. Right. Because everybody mm-hmm. has a different risk tolerance yes. for having money in the bank or not having money in the bank. Yeah. And the the. The, the real problem with that is I've, I've seen it. I wrote an entire book for people in this situation where they're kind of like entering their second year of freelancing and they're like, where did all the leads go? Because when they first make the leap. Oh, yeah. It, second it's year got, is the worst. Yeah. It's got a built in marketing story like Alice finally told him to take that job and shove it. Right. And, like, <laughs> and she does websites and you need to hire her to do who needs a website. And that works once. Like that first year you go around and that, unless you have a lot more friends than I do, that doesn't keep you going into year two. And now you're just a garden variety web designer. And uh, the, the, not, the running out of money feeling, that fear feeling, causes you to make all sorts of bad decisions that keep you in that hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like saying yes to stuff that you really you know you know, don't want to do. Oh, you know yeah, it's going to you know. be a bad client and you take them anyway. But, you know, before we go too much farther, I just want to swing back for one thing because it's an idea that people might not have thought of. Um, When you said if you were starting over, you would start with a newsletter. Love that. I have a client who did that a little bit differently. And this person was um, the, the, the name on the emails from a firm. In other words, it wasn't their firm. They were an employee, but it was their name on the emails. And when they decided to leave and start up something new, 
using their name was really powerful. Didn't take the mailing list with them. They did not own right. the mailing list, but they knew a lot of the people had met them over the years and started up with, I think, 2,000 people mm. on an initial mailing list. But more importantly than that, instant name recognition. Yeah. And in fact, when, when I met them, I said, you know, are you sure you want your name on the firm here? Because the plan was to grow it beyond that. And they said, nope, got to have the name because that's what people, that's what our, our audience from this other firm recognizes. Got to mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, work for McKinsey, right? <laughs> you can still say that. Yeah, that's, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> So the, uh, the other thing that you can do in preparation for making a leap like this is save, save some money, you know, like oh. specifically for this purpose. Yes. And, if, you know, it's you, you'll hear it, I think. Um, well, you'll have heard it by the time you listen to this episode. But we, uh, we interviewed um, Sarah Peck. And I love what she said right at the beginning of the episode, which was that she and her husband made a commitment to live on one income. Mm-hmm. So that they could always have the flexibility to do something that spoke to them. And mm-hmm. so if you're if you're not partnered up, then just save, you know, 40 or 50 percent of your income. You know, live really frugally so that you can put that money away to live the life you want. You know, assuming that the solo life is calling to you. Yeah, there's just a dramatic difference in my I mean, it almost goes without saying, like I have some students who have you know, two years of salary in the bank. And then I have other students who are, you know, they need to close a deal. And now, now, and it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could just imagine just by listening to that, I'm sure you can imagine the um, quality of the decisions that are getting made between one and the other. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you're scrambling and you don't know where you're going to get your mortgage, your next mortgage payment from, you're going to, take on bad clients it's just that's what yeah. happens you're gonna don't, take don't on do bad this clients. don't do this if, if and it's it's such a personal decision but if if you're the kind of person that really needs that security and doesn't have it this business is not going to be for you mm. you have to find a way to build your own security which in a weird way is why when times are tough like now in 2020 can be a great time to do it because even if you have those security needs you may not have a choice Right. You may have lost your job or you may have had your hours cut and you're like, hey, I'm going to use those extra hours to build something new and different for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So whatever the I mean, it's like I wish I could inject the feeling like it's so someone who's because I know people like so many people are like, yeah, it'll be fine. Or like I'll get clients or like overly optimistic about the the proposition and I'm telling you when you not only do you have do you make um, take on clients that are that are bad that you know that that you should recognize are not going to be a good fit but you you exude the stench of desperation as Blair Enns calls it (laughs) and it's just impossible to hide it's impossible to hide you answer every question too quickly you answer you reply too quickly in the emails you're uh, you talk too much uh, all the, all of these things that you just come across as needy and nobody wants to hire a needy consultant. It's a bad look. Yeah. <laughs> so of not, any kind. Yeah. So, yeah. So not only does it, it, um, it causes you to take on bad clients. It can cause, it can cause you to get no clients, like have no one to choose from. And it's just a vicious cycle where you go into a sales meeting and you're willing to like 
do anything. You, you, you know, spend all weekend putting together a pitch and you come in and it's just like, oh, this person's like way too desperate. And then I you can do up, that. Yeah. I I'll can do, do anything. That. I, do, can I wash your car? Is there, yeah, we'll work yeah. for food. Yeah. So then it just creates this vicious cycle where your confidence just goes down, you're panicking and it's like, oh, it's the worst, the worst, the worst. So, you know, I'm trying to impress upon folks the, the importance of, of avoiding that, you know, just don't be desperate. Like, what do you need to do to not be desperate? Because if you're, if you to think. To not feel desperate. Right. That's what it is. It's because we could be in exactly the same situation and I might feel desperate and you wouldn't. Right. Yeah. It's knowing what that looks like for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And you, so you need to diffuse that bomb before, because it's going to come, like if it, it could come that, you know, and whatever it takes to diffuse that bomb, if it's like, if it's like having savings or if it's working out a deal to bring a couple of initial clients with you, or if it's talking to your spouse and making sure that they're cool with the risk as well, because they might be, you know, like, like you just mentioned about Sarah, like you, I can imagine a scenario where, um, the person making the leap is worried that their spouse is going to be nervous, but it's not discussed and that, and that maybe the spouse would be cool with it. Maybe the spouse is, is, um, you know, knows you hate your current job and doesn't want that. That's not good for either person. That's bad for the relationship. If somebody hates their job, so they might be all for it. You know, so anyway, what I'm saying is, is, uh, you know, if you think that that is going to contribute to your stress level, then talk about it up front, you know. Um, oh, just talk about it up front, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Good relationship advice. Yeah, you kind of, yeah, but I mean explicitly like the the risk thing. And I, I, suppose, yes. I suppose everybody, I, I'm trying to think if anybody I've ever talked to was like, oh, by the way, I quit my job. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody's <laughs> right. ever. Yeah, that would be weird. Um, but I do mean specifically about the risk thing, you know, like how, yes. how nervous are you going to be? You know, how nervous is your uh, husband or wife going to be about the whole thing? And uh, because you could imagine your imagination will make things bigger than they probably are in reality. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of times we tend to have partnerships with people who are the opposite. So we might be like freewheeling, oh, give me any risk. Whereas our partner might be, oh, well, let's, a salary would be nice. Yeah, let's go for that. Let's go for the salary. So, you know, you've got to, you got to find a win-win in there for, for both parties. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what else, what else would I do preparing to go solo? Well, I, I think, you know, and this, it, it probably ties with this idea of a newsletter and the email list, but I would, this is the, the error I see people do a lot, is I would do my best to start with some kind of a niche. And it doesn't have to be oh, yes. finely tuned yet because, you know, part of this is you need to get out there and work. But a lot of times what happens is people leave an organization and they, they say, all right, I'm going to do what I did before. Let's call it, you know, they're, they're developing websites. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Well, I'm going to do that for anybody who asks. Right. And so that's what you do. And you don't, you know, you, you don't really focus on any one thing. So you're not really building your book in the sense of you're not building a story, you're not building specific expertise that clients value directly. 
Um, but what happens a lot of times is, I, in my experience, is that when people first leave corporate, they're so worried about getting work and they're so excited, right? Yeah. They're so excited to be leaving and they're like, okay, just leave me alone. I just want to do this for a year and see what happens. And then the second year, to your point, Jonathan, is when all of those automatic leads just kind of dry up. Mm-hmm. And so that's the time when a lot of people will stop and say, oh, okay, maybe I need to switch up my story a little bit. Maybe I need to focus on something a little bit differently. Maybe I need to decide who I really want to help here. Who do I really want to serve? And I'll yes. stop because I can feel you wanting to jump in yeah. so badly, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I meant to say that uh, with the in with the mailing list and the and if you sold that first you know ebook or some kind of product, um, it would the the more niche down or well positioned you can be, the better. But it's one of those things that I unless you worked with someone like a coach or something to figure something like that out for you, it's it, there's no universe in which I would have been able to do that for myself back then yeah. because yeah. I didn't even, I still had a total employee mentality and I was, I was very much a technician and, uh, I built FileMaker solutions. I built FileMaker, like I do, I have this, I have this hammer, you have nails, I will hammer your nails. Uh, <laughs> so it wasn't like I would have had the exact same attitude that the vast majority of software developers who come to me have, which is like, oh, like, I'm like the world's best React developer. I'm like super cool. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, who needs that? And like, everybody needs that. (laughs) And I'm like, nah, not really. Almost nobody needs that. So I don't, I guess what I would say in terms of actionable advice for someone thinking about making a leap would be to try to, to have like some background process in your mind that's on the lookout for the for answers to those questions who do i want to serve what pains do i want to help them with what's their expensive problem or what's the giant opportunity that they're trying to capture that i can help them with so to so and you'll uh, i think the reason i forgot to say it is because it's so obvious to me that you you'd have to have something like that to even get somebody on a mailing list in the first place like it needs to be a value proposition mm-hmm. so and maybe it's maybe it's not a maybe it's not a vertical like dentists maybe it's a psychographic like environmentalists but the list the list needs to be about something it needs to be for something otherwise you're not going to get anybody to read it and that's kind of the beauty of of having you know a few hundred people on a mailing list is you know you're doing something right because they're paying they are paying you with their attention they're paying attention they're spending their time reading your mm-hmm. messages so they're getting something out of that transaction and since it's an email list, this is why I like email as the as the the, the mechanism and versus a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that, is that you can have a conversation with them privately one on one over email, and f- learn more and more about what what is the label on the outside of my bottle, like what are they seeing, and they can reflect it back to you. And like I said, it's like a muscle. You just sort of like work on this positioning muscle, like okay, what are people valuing from this? What is the, the what are the benefits they're getting out of it? And it switches you. It'll start to switch you from a very me focused, uh, self centered employee mentality into a, a you focused service posture where you see yourself fundamentally as helping other people get what they want. Like you know, mm-hmm. people you like get what getting what they want. 
and you can start to, you know, and so by the time you get through that exciting, frothy first year when you're like, wow, this is, this is like, I'm, I'm surfing, I'm surfing. Like I actually got up on the board. It's working. Yeah. Uh, and then it, the wave crashes, then you're going to have, you, you're much more likely to have the building blocks of um, a much more focused positioning statement. And then you can be a little bit more proactive about reaching those people and helping them get what they want. Yeah, and I think there's one other thing you can do. It is me-focused, but I think it's helpful. And you can do it when you're thinking about um, leaving, and you can do it after the one-year mark. And what I would do is I would go back in my mind and to all the projects, and, and I would think of my job as a series of projects. And I would go back and look at those projects, and I would rank them. And, you know, you know, five is the best one, one is the worst or vice versa. But you go through and you think about those projects, but you think about them in detail and you say, why did I like this one so much? Why did I not like this one? Why did I hate this? Why do I never want to work on a project like this again? And it only takes usually about four or five projects where you start to see the themes, the commonalities. Oh, I really don't like to work with people who are autocratic and controlling. Or I really don't want to work on projects where I have to have a team of people that I'm reporting into. I want to have one key clear client. Or it's about the, the process of, of the work. Um, you know, I only want to work with heads of marketing or I only want to work with the people who run the business. All it takes is a few of those kinds of things. And you can start to kind of see, oh, yeah, these are the people that I most want to work with. And these are the kinds of things, the kinds of problems or the kinds of issues I want to play with. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of draw some boundary lines around, you know, I mean, you're about to the, the whole premise here is that you're about to create uh, a new kind of a work life style for yourself. So like pick one you like. <laughs> yeah you don't want to end up with like a job without benefits you know like a like a bad ugh job yeah, yeah. with a crappy boss because you keep picking lousy clients and projects for yourself <laughs> right that's exactly right <laughs> right so be so I, I think that's uh great you know that's that's i think some self-awareness is absolutely critical you know the, the more you know yourself the more authentic you're you're going to be and if you've if you've done taken some steps to sort of decrease your stress level and the fear of um, uh, that desperation feeling, then you'll have some criteria to say like, oh, you know, this this client is not going to be a good fit for me. Like I can just tell they're, you know, like you said, they're autocratic, kind of like all caps, screamy type of person, just not going to do it. Uh, and, and you don't need to do that, you know, because you've had, if you do have a mailing list and you do have other, you know, smaller uh, products or info products to sell, you've probably got a pipeline of leads. So you can look, you, it gives you like, mm -hmm. um, it, it allows you to see into the future in a sense where you can say, oh, well, you know, signups are, signups are growing. I do about, you know, whatever, 1% conversion per month on a big ticket thing. You know, you can have some kind of, um, you can, it's like a superpower. You, if you can kind of see the future where when I first, like when I first went solo, like solo, solo on my own from the, after the firm, I didn't have any, like I, I had the, I still kind of had the, um, Hey, I've, I've got this hammer. I'm an awesome, awesome hammer guy who needs a hammer. 
and I wasn't thinking about it in a uh, like I didn't consciously think about marketing. The only probably the only reason I I did well in the second year, second or third year, was because I was copying what my boss at the firm did because he was awesome and we and the the phone just rang and rang and rang at that place which is why it was smart to have gone there (laughs) yeah and so i knew and i knew why the phone rang and it was because he wrote and wrote and wrote (laughs) Mm -hmm. the owner wrote books he had a very popular book in the space he wrote a column in a magazine he was extremely magnanimous and invited me to start doing the same thing and then you know, which which a lot of people would be like, he's crazy. You're now you're a flight risk because you've got, like you said before, you know, the, your my name was on the bottom of the article. Yep. You know, and that was hugely beneficial for me. But he yeah. was just that kind of guy. He's just a great guy. Well, so, and he, I think he was smart. I mean, generosity pays off, and maybe not by having you leave the firm, but it brought good things to him while you were there. Sure. Yeah, and so so writing books and speaking at conferences. So I was like, I'm going to write books and speak at conferences, and magic will happen. And it did. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, but I lost sight of that at a certain point, and I was like, I had kids and got sick of writing um, software books and didn't want to fly around and leave my wife with the two babies. <laughs> what do you know? The leads dried up, huh? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I thought it was just I thought it was famous. I thought like just magic happened all the time and. Um, but anyway, to, to pull it back, the the idea of having a mailing list and a, you know the beginnings of a, a product ladder, whether it's a side hustle, it starts as a side hustle, I would continue it once I did go solo because that gives you that, um, mm-hmm. that indication of a pipeline. You can see into the future instead of just being like, huh, I haven't gotten an email in a while. I wonder what the, <laughs> I haven't gotten a lead in, the, in a while. I wonder what's going on. Well, you know, there's something else about that that side hustle in terms of having a list can do for you. And that is sometimes you wind up serving a completely different audience. Like I'm thinking of your is it React uh, developer. Mm-hmm. That person might enjoy doing big corporate projects, but when they do a mailing list, they might make it for other React developers. And all of a sudden, you know, like if you're the king of React developers, you could build a reputation around that. Now, you know, we can talk about whether you want to stick with one piece of software or not, but just as an example. Mm-hmm. So instead of serving a corporate client, you might find out that you serve it's more of a retail client, if you will. So yep. it gives you this opportunity to try out some different audiences and see what space you play in best. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. I know plenty of people who are developers that went into, you know, it's it's relatively straightforward for developers to create an audience of other developers because they understand because they're so inside the tribe and it's so tribal mm-hmm. that it's it's not that hard. I mean, it's work, but it's it doesn't take a you know a giant, um, you know, there's no secret. You just it like, can be done. Yeah, it's just a process that you do. And and you probably like doing it because you get to talk about code all the time and everybody gets the jokes. And um, But when you, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, I know a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to teach. And I'm like, okay. Uh, but then I know other people who turn that audience into like a massive financial windfall of info products around where they just stop doing client work. And they they just make courses full time, 
and they love it. It's super fun. It's always kind of boggled my mind, like why people don't like the idea of doing that. It seems like such a natural fit for software developers to want to like teach because you get to talk, you just get to code all day long and you don't have any clients, which clients are always the problem (laughs) (laughs) when you're a coder. They always ask me to do the wrong thing. But But, you know, that's uh, a great point though, because teaching is an archetype. Right. And not everybody yeah. has that archetype. Somebody else wants to go and be the hero. Right. They yeah, want to go in and save the day. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. It's finding what's going to work for you and then building that business model around it. Yeah. So, you know, you can make a living. Right. But to your point, having um, the, like a mailing list or something like that, you're playing around. I mean, you're you're doing marketing there. In other words, you, mm-hmm. you're getting market research by accident because you're going to get because of its because it's email you're going to get replies that are going to give you an indication of when you're you know striking out and when you're hitting home runs so you're going to it's it kind of forces you to start thinking about the audience which creates more of this you focused mentality and you get better at empathizing with them and understanding maybe who who you're better at helping who you like helping how you could package up your expertise in ways that this particular audience can afford or is has an appetite for like some, you know, a software developers almost never going to hire another software developer to like work on their website, right? but they will hire another software. They'll pay another software developer for like a react course if they want to skill mm-hmm. up or whatever the thing is. So, um, but yeah, I love that point where doing through the experimentation of a mailing list and selling, um, lower tier products, you start to get feedback that's, it's going to make you smarter bottom line. It's going to make you a better business person and, uh, improve your ability to help the people you want to help. Well, you know, it kind of touched on a couple things there that are distinctions when you move from being inside a corporation to owning your own business. And I think of them in two kind of categories. And I know for me, when I started mine, I had a a huge learning curve on one of them. So one is marketing, which you just talked about, that doing what what Jonathan was describing gives you your first taste of actually marketing. Chances are you've never had to do it before because getting internal clients to buy you is not the same as going externally. But the other part is the running the business part. It's the part about deciding, you know, how you bring in money, how you get paid, uh, what things you spend that money on, how cash flow works. Um, and I, I, I learned one of those lessons the hard way, having employees. Cash flow is very important when you yeah. have a payroll to meet. <laughs> yeah, people like to pay their mortgages. It's funny. You know, can you believe that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so it's those two buckets. So anything that you can do before you go out on your own to get comfortable with marketing yourself and then managing the behind the scenes of your business, it, all of that is going to, to be helpful to you. Yeah, love it. And it's fun. I mean, it really is fun. Yeah. Yeah, you're helping people. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was about to start. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Oh, cool. So I, I, have we left any stone unturned? Yeah, I just want to mention a book and we can put it in the show notes. If, if you've not consulted externally before, there's a, it's an old, kind of an old book now, but it's a classic. It's called Flawless Consulting Peter by Peter Block. Mm-hmm. And he does, and you can use it. It's really written for internal consultants, like staff people, like developers, where you're working with people to implement something much like a consulting project. Highly recommend it if you want to really polish your consulting skills. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'll pile on there. Um, another one that I, I, first of all, 
you recommended that to me maybe last year, and I wish I had read that book 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah. big plus one on that one. Uh, the other one, um, David Maser and Charles Green, I would say Trusted Advisor is a yes. classic. And I, this might be old news to a lot of people. This is a really old book, but especially for the software developers, I would read E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Uh, because it lays out the three personality types that that you can juggle within yourself or with partners or um, employees when you do start your own business. But the uh, the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician, and understanding those three things is like game changing. Because software developers, and this includes me, when you go solo, you're the technician, and you don't see the value in either of the. The manager, you like, Ugh, they don't do anything. And the entrepreneur, <laughs> like, oh, they're just always screwing things up. I, I know what I want to do. They're always changing the, they're always changing the direction. It's just like annoying. So if, if you go check, I would check out all three of those books. Um, but definitely e-myth for the software developers, for sure. <laughs> we'll put them in the show notes so you can find them easily. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.